Next, this month's special series, Focus on Heart Health. Throughout the month of February, ReachMD talks with experts about new medications, technologies, and treatment guidelines in cardiac care. It is known that depression and heart disease can be associated, but what is the nature of that association, and can therapy of depression improve cardiac outcomes and a patient's quality of life? You are listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining us to discuss depression and heart disease is Dr. Leo Pozuelo, Section Head of Consultation Liaison Psychiatry and Associate Director of the Bakken Heart Brain Institute at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Pozuelo. Hey, thanks for the invite, Dr. Friedman. It's our pleasure. So depression and heart disease definitely are related. What What is the nature of this association? Well, well, we're starting to get a better handle of it. We know a couple things. One, that people who have never had a heart disease and if they get clinically depressed, they have a higher incidence of developing heart disease. And then we also know that patients that have pre-existing heart disease who get clinically depressed, they do worse than their counterparts. So there's certainly some underpinnings. And I think in the last five to 10 years, we've had some really good cracks at it from studies looking at this intricate relationship. So both in terms of a primary prevention type of perspective, people without heart disease, depression does pose a risk factor, and those with coronary disease and heart disease do worse if they have depression. That's correct. And do we have any feeling for the magnitude of that risk, say, for developing heart disease? As far as depression causing heart disease, that's a little bit not as well studied. What we do know is the prevalence of depression in heart disease, it's certainly higher than the general population. It's about 20 to 30 percent. I would imagine treating a number of depressed patients that there could be some fallout from the depression that affects other more traditional risk factors. Exactly. And a lot of those things are looked as far as why these people do worse, such as lack of exercise, such as medication adherence, etc. Interesting. And so, again, for development of heart disease, people with heart disease do worse. Do we see more depression in people who have established heart disease compared to the general population? It does seem that way, and it crosses the spectrum of folks, for example, that have congestive heart failure, that go for a cabbage, that have acute coronary syndromes, and it appears to be higher than the general non-cardiac population. Do we understand some of the mechanisms behind these associations? Well, I think that's where the exciting research from a lot of colleagues has been going on trying to crack that. And there have been a couple of reported mechanisms. One of them may have to do with autonomic tone. People with depressed heart disease have differences in their vagal tone, and does that lead to complications? Other mechanistic pathways look at inflammatory markers. We know that people who are clinically depressed have higher CRP levels. They Mm. They may have increased interleukins. Colleagues as well looking at the HPA axis as a distress response. And those have been circulating as possible mechanisms for some time. There appears to be some exciting research going as well as genetics. Are there predisposition in folks as far as promoter genes for, like, for example, a serotonin transport gene? Are those folks more at risk if they have that type of marker compared to those that don't? So the research is certainly ongoing. That's interesting. So 
a number of different fronts, uh, different mechanisms, the, the autonomic, the inflammatory markers, platelet activation, the hypothalamic pituitary axis, and maybe some genetics as well. Correct. And, and you were correct in mentioning as well as the platelet activation. We know that people that are clinically depressed, you know, have increased aggregation of their platelets and platelet reactivity. All things that we're looking at very uh, closely in heart disease. Very interesting. So we have these associations and some possible mechanisms. Do we know if addressing and trying to treat the depression helps with outcomes? Well, here's where it becomes interesting. There have been at least the last 15 years some really significant trials done by great people across the country and internationally. And to this date, there's no conclusive evidence that by treating depression, do you make a dent in morbidity and mortality of these patients? Mm. So the hard outcome data such as mortality and for the cardiologist in the audience, the body count, they're going to be looking at, right. do we make a dent? Uh-huh. The answer is, as of yet, we can't prove that. Ah, disappointing. It can be. Uh-huh. It can be. But the way to look at that when you start teasing out the intervention studies is that the context of the depression, what qualities of the depression are really cardiotoxic? Because we lump depression into one lump category. We Mm -hmm. diagnose it in a broad stroke. And so really the challenge for the behavioral medicine scientists and researchers is to look at what are the aspects of that clinical depression that really pose the highest cardiac risk. Interesting. And, And have there been some indications of what aspects of depression are most cardiotoxic? Right. And, and I, when they look at the common links and the, what it may be the connections, there's been some elegant studies done by Mary Woolley and colleagues in the Heart and Soul Study looking at lack of activity, physical activity, having the highest predictive value between depression and cardiovascular disease. So is it the lack of energy? Is it the lack of motivation? Are there concrete symptoms of depression that really make the biggest impact in morbidity and mortality? And that's probably going to be coming up nicely in some upcoming studies looking at the role of exercise in patients with heart disease and depression. Hmm. And I wonder, does anxiety play a role there? We often use the term, or we used to, the cardiac cripple who's too afraid, and so they don't get up and exercise. Absolutely. I think anxiety poses some other challenge, too, for the clinicians. Typically, we look at patients that come in through the emergency room, they have the chest pain, you do the enzymes, everything's negative, it looks fine, you reassure them, this is just a panic attack, it's not going to kill you. Even though it hasn't been as well studied as depression and heart disease, there's some data out there that folks with persistent anxiety and anxiety disorders can be at a higher cardiac risk, even though the, uh, it's not as well elucidated as it is in depression and heart disease as of yet. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and we are discussing depression and heart disease with Dr. Leo Pozuelo, Section Head of Consultation Liaison Psychiatry and Associate Director of the Bakken Heart Brain Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. So, Dr. Pozuelo, we know that the depression is there with heart disease. Is this something that clinicians pick up well, or do we have to take special steps to be on the lookout for this? Well, this is where I think the recent guidelines put forward, it was actually a science advisory by the American Heart Association, which called upon all clinicians that work with cardiac patients to take an active screening, for screening for depression, that is, in any patient with coronary artery disease. The nice thing about the science advisory and the folks that put it together is that they really provided some simple tools, screening tools that 
any clinician, as busy as they can be, can use in screening for depression in patients with heart disease. Do you want to outline those things that we should be asking? You bet. To get back to your point, as clinicians, even the you know, cardiologists and folks working in the cardiac field, we tend to really underdiagnose and certainly undertreat the incidence of depression and heart disease. For that matter, a screening tool that is practical, easy to use, is pivotal. And the consensus from the science advisory, and, and we've been using this tool in our institution, as many others, is really using the patient health questionnaire, abbreviated the PHQ-9. It's not a psychiatric screening tool per se. It's mm-hmm. well validated in internal medicine, been used in diabetic populations, medically ill populations. Very easy to administer. It's not copyrighted. It's uh, five minutes maximum. And it really just outlines nine questions, self-report that you can give to your patient while they're waiting for you in the waiting room. There's a subset of that, which is called the PHQ-2, which literally just takes the first two questions. And if you want, I can just read those because these mm-hmm. have been well validated as even just a simple screening conversation question that you can use. It entails asking the patient, point blank, in the last two weeks, number one, have you had little interest or pleasure in doing things? And number two, in the last two weeks, have you been feeling down, depressed, or hopeless? What's impressive is that if a patient really answers yes or no, even to one of those two questions, you have about a 90% sensitivity and a 75% specificity of detecting a clinical depression followed by the PHQ-9. So that may be a very easy tool to use in your cardiac patients, in your internal medicine patients when you're screening for or have an index of suspicion there may be some depression going on. That is fascinating. I, I think I'm going to, I'm an internist and I think I will incorporate that after looking at your beautiful article in the Cleveland Clinic Journal of Medicine this January that kind of reviews this topic. I was astounded to see how poorly seasoned clinicians apparently do at picking up depression in this group of patients. And so that seems like a very simple screen that I should incorporate. It's well validated. And and again, it's not a psychiatric measurement per se. It's a very easy scale to use. And then in terms of treating patients, I I would think we, we have some concerns about tricyclics in this group of patients. Do we go with the SSR? Yeah, correct. Your your point's well pointed out that the TCAs, there's sufficient evidence to show that anybody with a previous or existing history of coronary artery disease should not be prescribed these medications. Even for things such as diabetic neuropathy, there's better alternatives. Clearly, for antidepressant, the most validated and well-studied medications and treatment of depression and heart disease are the SSRIs. And among those two, again, borne out by the intervention studies that have been done, default to two SSRIs, one being Zoloft, sertraline, and the other one being Celexa, Citalopram. So those are the ones that have the best data behind them. Correct. And I imagine these, although you mentioned they don't seem yet to be proven to improve cardiac outcomes, probably help with quality of life. Do they not? Correct. And, And that's probably the most meaningful discussion you should have with your patient is really looking at how is this depression affecting you? Is it really making an impact in your quality of life, how you perceive things, how your enthusiasm to follow through with your daily routines as well as your recommendations from your docs as part of your, your rehab or conditioning back into health? And those medications certainly have been proven to be safe in the cardiac patient. So that notion that antidepressants, again, born from the TCAs a long time ago, that they could be cardiotoxic certainly does not apply to these safer SSRIs. Would you suggest- 
suggest trying to incorporate other treatment strategies such as psychotherapy? Well, that's what the interesting results of some of these studies have shown us, that long-term or very deep interpersonal type of therapies where you really start to cover a lot of stressors does not seem to be very beneficial in treating depression with heart disease. Hmm. It's more of a supportive, a cognitive behavioral therapy that's borne out to be most effective in treating patients that have these two illnesses, depression and heart disease. So CBT, which is a commonly mainstream, short-term type of therapy given by good psychologists, social workers, master's level therapists, seems to be the way to go. So uh, right after your heart attack and angioplasty, you don't want to delve into the conflicts you had as a child with your parents. You got it. Okay. But more to the cognitive behavioral therapy, and and that seems to be helpful. Correct. It's more of a here and now type of therapy. In cardiac rehab, is is there a role for that in terms of anxiety and depression and getting back on a person's feet? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, with our colleagues that we reviewed in the article and, you know, many front-leading researchers such as Jim Blumenthal down at Duke would recommend, because the cardiac rehab envelops a lot of the wellness initiatives that we would like for our patients. Stress management, certainly a high importance for exercise, certainly dietary adherence, and if you can enroll these patients, and again, that's another area of referral that we're grossly under-referring and we're really not doing a a good advocacy for our patients because many of them qualify Mm -hmm. and, and don't go to the cardiac rehab. This program, as you well know, typically involves 12 weeks, especially the phase two, and it gives a wonderful opportunity for the clinicians there to A, assess and screen for the depression, and also to put mechanisms in place to treat it. Very good. So that really, you you seem very enthusiastic about us doing a better job getting our patients into cardiac rehab programs. We have to, absolutely. And and I think one of the benefits of the science advisory that came out for all clinicians is that I I think it's going to open the doors to have better access to mental health professionals in the cardiac rehab setting, in the cardiologist's office, so that we can hopefully start to destigmatize going to see the psychiatrist or to get mental health help. Are, are there some institutions now that are kind of embedding psychiatric services in with their cardiology services? I, I think, uh, yes, it, it's becoming more of a trend nationwide. You know, certainly big centers and other ones like ourselves have had a tradition now for you know, three to four years of having a patient go see the psychiatrist right there in the preventive cardiology offices in the cardiac rehab arena. The physical proximity, the intercollegial consultations, and the destigmatized that goes on in that setting really, really helps the access, really, really helps the acceptance, and I think it really does lead to better results for the patients and the clinicians. Do you think that we will see some data on the body count eventually with programs that involve cardiac rehab, cognitive behavioral therapy, medications? We hope so. A lot of the limitations in some of these studies has been just the sheer number of patients for achieving the sufficient statistical power and also the complexity and the mechanisms that we outlined in our chat today. If we look at the endpoint of quality of life and maybe exercise and medication adherence, I think we'll be seeing some good data down the road that treating depression certainly can impact those variables. It still needs to be seen as to whether we make a significant impact in the hardcore outcomes such as mortality. Well, I'd very much like to thank my guest, Dr. Leo Pazuello from the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Heart Health. 
For a program guide, complete list of shows, and podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com.